0: Amen. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, remember this evening after our evening service we're going to be having a time of fellowship. It's uh, a send off uh, time for Pastor Mrs. Pierre Vicente. So that will be right after evening service. Uh, bring some food along with you so we can have something to eat. Baptists always do better when there's food and a lot of it. Amen. So make sure you uh, bring over some food with you this afternoon. We'll have our evening service at 6, and right afterwards we'll be having that time of fellowship together. What a great week we had in VBS. Eight kids got saved, and uh, I'll tell you, God just moved in a great way. We're so thankful for every person that uh, gave and worked and uh, just did whatever needed to be done so that we could have all these children here. It's a blessing when the parents come in. How many parents just talk about how many years they've been bringing their kids here I was talking to one lady. She says, yeah, I've been bringing my daughter here for uh, six years now. And she said, next year, my youngest one's going to start coming. And she said, we, we look forward to your VBS every year. And so I'm um, praising God for a great testimony in our community uh, that they can bring their kids over and just have a great time together. They gave great, had the competition with the pennies and pennies. Uh, They gave $1,500 to go towards our missionary. We're going to be giving it to uh, the Severas family down in Brazil. And the kids got excited about that, got on board, and they gave and competed. And I hate to admit, but the girls won uh, the contest with the pennies. I thought, did the girls win or the boys? The boys won. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) I went delirious for a moment. Amen. Senior moment, you know. <laughs> the boys won. Hallelujah. I was just thinking I should have bought more bricks. and Maybe I should have bought less. Amen. So I didn't need to spend that much money. Anyway, Leviticus chapter 16, the scapegoat. Uh, we just observed communion together. And uh, it's represented through the Old Testament sacrifice and offering of the scapegoat. And Luke, uh, not Luke, uh, Leviticus chapter 16 in verse 8. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall he pre- be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement for, uh, with him and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness then jump down to verse eighteen. And it says, And he shall go out into the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock, and of the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his fingers seven times, and cleanse it, and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions and all all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness." And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall uh, take—I'm sorry—he shall let the let go the goat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place. And put on his garments and go forth and offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offering for the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Uh, it's been a wonderful week in VBS. We're thankful for souls that have been saved. I pray you'd give us a discerning heart, Lord, on how to follow up on them and reach into the families that we might be able to share the good news that Jesus saves And, Lord, I pray for this service right now. We're thankful for what we've been able to experience in taking of the communion table and remembering what Christ has done for us. And we'd like to continue that thought, Lord, as we see uh, so clearly illustrated through the scapegoat how Jesus took all of our sins away. And so, Lord, I pray you'd bless us this morning. If there's someone here not saved Speak to them, Lord, and I pray you bring conviction on them and they would receive Christ as their Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There are many types of Christ in the Old Testament. It's a a great study to go through the Old Testament and just look at different uh, types or symbols that represent what Christ would do, who Christ would be uh, when he would come into this world. This chapter, where we read in verse 16, chapter 16, deals with the subject of the scapegoat. And the priest of Israel was required to take two goats. And with those two goats, one of the goats was to be uh, offered as a sacrifice. His blood was to be shed. Um, to be uh, a means of atoning for the sins of the children of Israel. The other goat, however, uh, would be chosen uh, as a symbol of taking away or carrying the sins of man away. The priest literally would lay both of his hands on the goat that was left alive. He would confess all of the sins of the people of Israel And then that goat would be led out into the wilderness and literally driven off of a cliff so that he could not come back into the city because he could not bring, it symbolized the sins being taken away and certainly he was not going to be allowed to come back into the city to bring the sins back. And so the two scapegoats were symbolic of Christ dying on the cross, shedding his blood for us and in that process of shedding his blood, He took all of our sins away, and uh, it's a beautiful picture that we see of how Aaron uh, has to deal with the uh, children of Israel, and as he presents to them uh, this wonderful symbol, or picture, if you will, of what Christ would do. And so Christ fulfills a twofold duty in reference to this matter of the scapegoats. He fulfills a twofold duty, first of all, that of the priest who is making the sacrifice and that of the goat who is being sacrificed. And so Christ fulfills a twofold responsibility. So let's look at this quickly as we go through in Leviticus chapter 16. Just back up a few verses to verse 4. And we see the priestly preparation in order to be able to observe uh, this discipline of offering this goat. In Leviticus 16 and 4, it says, And he shall put on the holy linen coat. And he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen uh, mitre shall he be uh, attired. These are holy garments, therefore, shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And so when it came time for the uh, yearly sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, that the priest would have to wash himself, he'd have to be cleansed, he would have to be prepared uh, to go in before the the Lord to represent the people, and he would have to put on these holy garments. So there was a priestly preparation for that time of sacrifice. And so that's the first thought we have about Christ is the purification process, the purification of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 15, says, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so as Aaron would have to go in and wash himself and he would have to present himself uh, to be uh, clean and put on the priestly garments, Jesus Christ, as he would come into this world, he would live a sinless life, one that would be in all points tempted, yet without sin. He was pure and he was holy. There was a purification. According to Jewish writers, they say that before the Day of the Atonement, that the priest, the high priest, would have to come into the temple seven days before the sacrifice and he would have to prepare himself he would have to leave his home and he have to stay in the temple because he would have to be purified and ready to be able to go into the presence of God and make this atonement for the sins of the people Jesus Christ came into this world and as he lived in this world he was tempted like every man is it is tempted to sin but yet Jesus Christ was completely without sin and so we have a high priest who is not defiled, we have a high priest who is pure and holy and able to make the sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. Not only do we see the purification, but we see the humiliation. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, speaks about Christ humbling himself. In Philippians 2, and verse 8, it says, "...and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death." even the death of the cross. And as this goat that would be chosen to be sacrificed uh, surrendered completely his will, he had no means of being able to exercise his own will, he was completely at the mercy of the priest who was going to be offering him up as a sacrifice. Jesus Christ came into this world and humbled himself, taking on the fleshly robe of man and submitting himself to the ordinances of man And surrendering himself to the judgment of man, and so in his humiliation, he became the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. During that time, when the priest was in the temple preparing for the Day of Atonement, they say that he would have to do tasks of the lower priest, of burning incense. The lower priests were the ones that would go into the holy place and burn incense, They were the ones that would trim the lamp in the holy place. They were the ones that would prepare the the showbread on the table in the holy place. But when the preparation time was going on for the priest to offer up the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice, he would be humbled in that he would fulfill those meeker tasks, the lesser responsibilities of the lower priest uh, in the holy place. And Jesus Christ humbled himself, he became a servant, he took on the flesh of man. The God who is the creator of all things submitted himself to his own creation. The humility of Christ we see in this preparation. What well, we also see the reconciliation. Uh, that the, the priest was going into the holy place for the purpose of offering these sacrifices so as to reconcile Israel back to their God. Their sin had separated them from God. Their sin had hindered their ability to walk with God. And Jesus Christ came into this world to provide an opportunity for reconciliation. In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 17, he says, Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priests in all things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Israel would rebel against their God. They would reject their God. They would live as if they need, didn't need their God. But on the Day of Atonement, there would be a sacrifice that would be offered by a priest that was well-prepared, well-cleansed, perfectly humble, Offering up a sacrifice that was required by God to offer a means of reconciling Israel back in fellowship with their God once again. And Jesus Christ came into this world and he died on Calvary for that specific purpose of reconciling man to their God. And uh, today the world lives as if they don't need God. They live as if they they can do whatever they want. Who cares how they live? But the reality is, one day they're going to die. It's appointed the man, but once to die, after this, the judgment. And if man has not been reconciled through the sacrifice that was required of God, where the sacrifice would remove their sins so that they could walk with a holy God, when they die, they have no hope of being in fellowship and reconciliation to God because they had rejected their priestly offering of the scapegoat. And so they are lost in their hands, sins. And so we see the preparation, priestly preparation. In Leviticus chapter 16, we see the choosing that takes place. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 7, it says, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation." And Aaron shall cast lots upon two goats and one for the lot, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And so there was the choosing that had to be done and they would cast lots on the goat. And the one goat, they both had to be without spot and without wrinkle. They both had to be pure. They both had to be holy. And when they cast lots on the one would be literally slain and their blood would be shed and the other one would be prayed over and be sent away, but it was there was a choosing process that took place, and I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was chosen by His Father. Uh, people say, so I don't understand why you you, you Baptists you think that everybody has to be saved, like you have to. You, you say we need to be saved. We say that because God is the one who chooses the sacrifice. God is the one who chooses the means of redemption. It is God is the one who has established the means through which man can be saved. Man has nothing to do with that. It's God's choosing just as God would allow Israel to cast lots upon the two goats. The one would be sacrificed and the one would be let go and ultimately that one was let go would end up dying because it would take the sins away in that death. And in Matthew chapter 3, uh, the fa- Heavenly Father, when Jesus was being baptized, cried out and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, God didn't choose any other means by the way of redeeming man, but rather than He chose the fact of sending His only begotten Son in this world. And it is important to acknowledge the fact that God loved this world, that He gave His only begotten Son. Not, not, a, not opportunities for different sons, not different opportunities for different ways, but God chose one direction and one means and one sacrifice, and that's Jesus Christ. The, it, listen, the high priest did not have the option that when he cast lots and the one goat was chosen to be sacrificed to say, I really don't want to sacrifice that one, I think I'll sacrifice this one. He did not have that option. He had to respond to the choosing of God. And we do not have the option to choose uh, to whom we're going to turn to for our salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17 says, For he received from God the Father the honor and glory when there, uh, uh, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so God was pleased to choose Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to be the scapegoat, to be the one to sacrifice himself on Calvary for us. So there's a choosing of the father. There is this choosing that is without spot and without wrinkle. Uh, As the goat would be offered, as the lambs would be offered, they had to be pure. They had to be undefiled. And when we talk about the sacrifice that is made for us on Calvary, it has to come through one who is completely undefiled and pure. Jesus said, which of you convinces me of sin? The word convinces there is a Greek word that means convicts me. In other words, who who cast a, a conviction notice upon me that I am a sinful person? Who cast a wicked, sinful notion that I have violated some commandment of God? Who convinces me of sin? Christ could offer himself because he was out without spot and without blemish as he would die on Calvary. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 8 it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. That's God's choosing. This morning we celebrate communion. We rejoice in the fact that we can be saved and go to heaven because it's based on what God chose to do and not what man chose to do. Be it known to you this morning, there is no opportunity for you to justify living your life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no opportunity that is justified in the eyes of God that you have the right to say, I'm going to try to worship God the way I choose to worship God. You don't have that right. You don't have that privilege because it is God who chose what man was to be and what sacrifice was to be offered. And so the choosing represents for us the choos- chosen of His Father He was without spot and blemish. But it also represents for us the purging of the sacrifice. The purging of the sacrifice. Uh, This this goat that was offered would purge or remove or cleanse the people of their sin. Jesus Christ is the means of purging our sin in Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, verse 14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And there is a purging that takes place when Christ died on the cross, enabling us to be delivered from the bondage of all our sins to where we can be in fellowship with God, and it's based on the choosing of God. Uh, you know, it always makes me t- tickle sometimes and chuckle sometimes when you try to talk to people about salvation and the ideas that people have about why God should accept them, by what, about how we ought to be in church, how we ought to worship, how we ought to conduct ourselves. It's so secularized that we have forgotten that, wait a minute, we do not have the right to choose. It's God's choosing. Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit shall remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father, it may be given you. It's God's choosing, and we cannot dictate to God what sacrifice we think is acceptable. We respond to the offering of the sacrifice that God said, "This is the sacrifice that I choose that you must respond to." So I see the preparation, priestly preparation, I see the choosing. I see the offering in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse nine, it says, "And Aaron shall bring the goat upon, uh, 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 the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering." But the goat which uh, the lot fell to be the scapegoat, shall he present alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And so the offering in verse 11 says, And Aaron shall bring a bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. And so there has to be the offering that is made. Notice that it was a priestly offering. He's making an offering of the bullock for himself. See, he could not represent God to Israel as the pure, clean priest before God until the sacrifice was made for himself. There's a priestly sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10... In verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And here's the problem in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Those two goats were chosen to be sacrificed, but they were not the means of taking the sins away of man. They were a foreshadow, they were a type of what would take place when Jesus would come. And that's why they offered them over and over and over again. But this man, that's Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice, four sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. And so we see the offering. There's a priestly sacrifice, and the priest of the Old Testament had to continually offer the sacrifice But Jesus offered himself once and for all for us. Then there's the personal sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, And who, being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. There is a priestly order that God established and Jesus Christ is our high priest, but there is a personal uh, uh, obligation in that Christ offered himself completely for us that we might be saved and we might be able to be redeemed. So there has to be the offering. There has to be priestly preparation. There has to be the choosing. There has to be the offering. And then in Leviticus 16 and 18, we see the satisfying. In uh, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 18, says, And he shall go out into, unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it, and it shall take, of, and he, and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. This is the brazen altar. And it says, And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it, from the uncleanness of the children of israel and so god was going to provide a way for him to be able to be man to be set i'm sorry god to be satisfied with man notice first of all the demands of god's law was not satisfied by man's works all these things that the children of israel had to observe all these things that the priests had to do uh, would not satisfy the demands of God because it was the works of man's hands. In Romans chapter seven, in uh, verse seven, Paul says, "This is what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid." Sad thing is, so many people are trying to present the law of God as something being bad. People, oh, I won't live by the Old Testament. Oh, we're we're delivered from the Old Testament. I mean, we're we're in the New Testament. Well, you understand there's not one law, moral law, in the Old Testament that Jesus did not increase and put higher value on in the New Testament. What shall we say? Is the law sin? God forbid. God forbid literally means let it not be so. God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the Lord said, thou shalt not covet." But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me a manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead, for I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which was good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know, sin has ceased to be exceeding sinful in the world today. It has ceased to be exceeding sinful in the life of Christians today. We adapt. We're like a chameleon. We adapt to the culture. We adapt to the changing of times, and we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to live according to God's law. But the amazing thing is this, obeying God's law and living by His law is not going to justify in the eyes of God because there had to be a sacrifice And that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. The demands of God's law are satisfied by the work of Christ on Calvary. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so the demands of God's law are satisfied by the work of Christ on Calvary, because he is the scapegoat. Then I see the cleansing. In Leviticus chapter 16, there's a cleansing that takes place. In uh, verse uh, 20, He says, and when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. And shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto the land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. Notice the cleansing in reference to the scapegoat. The cleansing in reference to the scapegoat was the removal and the cleansing of our sin, of their sin. Uh, the reality is, Psalmist said, as far as the east is from the West, so far has He removed our iniquities, our transgressions, I'm sorry, our transgressions. And uh, God, through the scapegoat, symbolized that He carried their sins away and delivered them from the bondage of all their sins. And uh, by a fit man, there had to be a fit man, in other words, a qualified man, to take the scapegoat and lead him out, the man who was going to, ensure that that goat literally would be taken out and driven off the cliff in the wilderness so that they might be able to completely remove the sins of all the people. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, he said it is finished. The interesting thing is I was reading some uh, things on the Hebrew customs and uh, they suggested this. They said when they took the scapegoat out, they would go down the road, and at different intervals, there would be people standing. And the guy would go by with that goat, and then finally he would get to the cliff where in the wilderness, where he's completely removed from all the people, and the goat would be thrown off the cliff so that the sins couldn't be taken back, and the people would start to relay the message back, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished! And it would sound all the way back into Jerusalem that the scapegoat had completely removed all their sins from them. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, it is finished, because Jesus completely cleanses us from all of our sins. There's not one sin that, that is, remains in the heart of man that Jesus Christ cannot cleanse. And we need a daily cleansing and a refreshing every day because we allow sin to clutter onto us. We allow the world to make us filthy. But wait a minute, when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave all of our sins and removed all of our iniquities. It's the scapegoat, the cleansing. Why well, see the interceding here also. Don't worry, this is the last point. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 23 says, that Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there and shall wash his flesh with the water in the holy place. And put on his garments and come forth and offer burnt offerings and burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And here he is, he's interceding for the people. The scapegoat has been offered. And as the scapegoat was offered, the sins were removed. And now he can come out and offer the bullock on the sacrifice on the altar to intercede for the people he offered it for himself and for the people jesus christ is ever interceding for you and me first of all we know that there's a perpetual reminder in this offering of the scapegoat in hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 it says for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect verse 2 for then would they have not have to cease to be offered because that wor- the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Perpetual. They had to perpetually keep interceding for people because of the fact those offerings, those sacrifices could not take away their sins and every time they offered the sacrifices it reminded them of the bondage of their sin. And so it was a perpetual reminder but there's an eternal experience through Christ in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Oh, none of the Jews, none of the Israelites could go into the holy of holies. Uh, Only the priest could go into the holy of holies, and he'd have to be taking the blood in with him. And if he was defiled, if he had any sin, he would be struck dead in there. It was a fearful thing to come into the presence of a holy God. But, brethren... We have boldness to enter into the holiness, holiest by the blood of Jesus. How? By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the no more as you see the day approaching. What's Paul's telling, he's reminding the believers, the Hebrew believers, that wait a minute, you remember the Old Testament sacrifices they perpetuated the reality of the knowledge and awareness of the sin that you were continually, continually in. But Jesus Christ, the chosen of God came and sacrificed himself and when he died on the cross the redemption was complete. Uh, the access to God was open. The veil in the tw- temple was rent br- in twain so we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. We can come boldly into the holy of holies. We can hold fast our faith un- unwavering because we consider the reality of all that God has done for his people. So let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I think we lose the reality of verse 25 because we won't take it in the context of what Paul's saying. He is communicating to these Hebrews that had trusted Christ that they had so much more because of what Christ had accomplished in their life in sacrificing Himself that they don't have to keep offering the scapegoat up every year. So Jesus is the scapegoat of Hebrews, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 16. And when we come to the communion table, we're not coming because we need Christ to save us. We're coming to the table because it's a time for God to remind us what Christ did for us on Calvary. We don't need to bring a blood sacrifice here because the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed cleanses us from all of our sins. We we don't we don't have to worry about whether we're we're secure in Christ or not because Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And uh, these young people got saved this week. I don't know what God's going to do in their life. We're going to strive to follow up with them and talk with their families or whatever. But I can tell you this, that when God saves even a child, they know they're saved, they're secure in Christ, and they'll never lose that salvation. I know my mom, when she got saved at 13 years old at a Methodist revival meeting, no, it was at the Baptist church revival meeting they had going on, she got saved, nobody discipled her, nobody helped her in her faith to grow. And listen, all those years, all those years, she never lost her salvation. She might not have grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. She might not have been strengthened in her resolve to know how God works in her life, all those years, younger years in her life. But I know this, she never lost her salvation. Those young people got saved this week. They're saved and born again because of what Christ sacrificed on Calvary. They have a new life. They're a child of God. They're adopted into the family of God, and somebody ought to disciple them. Somebody ought to reach out to them and help them to know all that they have in Christ. Paul writes the book of Hebrews as an answer to the questions from the book of Leviticus. And he writes them because of the fact that the Hebrew believers We're so confused about the continual sacrifices of Israel. And Paul just says, wait a minute, you got something way better. You have Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the eternal God who came and died for you. He is the scapegoat. He took all of our sins away, carried them away. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. We're thankful for Jesus and what he has done for us on Calvary. We're thankful that when we're born again, we're a new creature. Um, everything's new. Uh, nothing's the same. And so, God, help us to live in light of the new life that we have in Christ. Help us, Lord, in a great way to be able to experience uh, the power of God, the love of God, that we might be able to communicate to others that they might understand the reality of how to get. In fellowship with and reconciled to god speak to our hearts lord in this invitation i pray in jesus name amen let's stand-